Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Thank you, Carol. Um, my name is Brad Shirk, and I am a youth and young adults pastor at WMB Church in Waterloo, and it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, yeah, man, I got to know a few of the youth from here, as well as Deb and Gail and Harry at a, at a SOAR Ontario kind of youth missions weekend last year, and it was pretty exciting. I know uh, at that point, Deborah and the crew got to hear me speak there, and that's how our little relationship began. And uh, little did I know when Deborah invited me to speak here this morning that it was daylight savings time officially ending. <laughs> Sneaky, you didn't mention that. But congratulations, you're all here. You weren't late for church, so good stuff. It's a good morning already. But really, it is good to be here. Um, I love seeing churches worship. I love seeing how our brothers and sisters in Christ can just come together no matter where we're from. Uh, I'm from Waterloo. And it's a pleasure to be in a different church this morning to just see you all worship. So yeah, Um, so like I said, my name is Brad. I've been doing youth and young adults at our church in Waterloo for the past 10 years. Um, And uh, I got into youth ministry because my youth pastor back when I was growing up, he made the word of God come to life for me. He made it exciting to follow Jesus. He opened up my eyes to what it means to follow Jesus with my life. And I said, whoa, Lord, if I can, if you can use me to do the same thing, I'm here, I'm open, and God has been incredible at working my own story into the way I've been able to, to lead our own youth to Jesus, and, uh, and God has been, he's been faithful, and he has been good in those moments. Um, let me share a little bit about myself before I get into things this morning. I've got a, I've got a little picture of my family, if we can get that up on the screen here. Uh, but I've got a wife, her name is Leah. We've been married for almost nine years as of this May, and, uh, and we have three kids, Bo, who is four, Forrest, who is two, and Dallas, our little girl, who is just one as of like last week. Let's go. No, I'm not getting anything here, guys. You might just have to click along for me. Anyways, when we see the cute picture of the kids come up, I'll know everyone will go on. Yeah. <laughs> But they're a handful, and, uh, and, and yep, they are incredible. As the parents in this room will know, kids are a blessing, and, uh, and they are a ton of fun. There it is. Yep, thank you, thank you. Yep, there we are. Um, and uh, we have a cottage just in Port Franks, where we have been spending the last week. Um, and uh, I'm there with my, my dad and my brothers and, and our kids, and so that's where they are this morning. We weren't going to try and get them up on the daylight savings time morning to come here, but uh, I think they are watching online, so hi, honey. Um, yeah, well, that's my family, and we have a blast. We love the church. We love doing what we're doing, and, uh, and thank you for having me here this morning. I love this area of Ontario. I'm, I'm, here's a little fun fact about me. I'm a bird nerd. I love birds. Any bird, any bird watchers in the house? Come on, there's a few. Excellent, great, I like you guys. Uh, But birds, man, birding in this area of Ontario is phenomenal. I love getting out in the woods with my camera and just spending time alone with God, seeing the Ontario countryside, and and that is just an amazing time of prayer for me. And uh, yeah, so it's good. Well, it's good to be here. This morning, I want to talk about 
a pretty big question, and that is, where is God in the suffering? Where is God when we're going through those difficulties in our lives? And it was really, really good to hear from some of you this morning about what's going on in your own life. I think God has a word for you today, as he has had for me as well in the last little while of my life. Um, This is a very relevant question for me in particular. It's a really relevant question for my family and what we've been going through. And uh, and I'm going to share a little bit about that this morning. But I think my prayer in this today is simply that as we, we talk about pursuing God, we would realize who we are pursuing and where he stands for us in those moments of our lives. I don't think this is a big theological groundbreaking sermon that I'm about to give you. Uh, I don't think it's going to be anything new, perhaps for a lot of you who have had more years here in this world. But at the same time, I hope that God speaks to you in a new way. I hope that he speaks to you in a way that just gives you a little bit of encouragement for today um, and for what we're going through in this coming year. So can I pray? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for, for the ways you are at work in our lives each and every day. Thank you that you are good, God. God, you are good and you are love. And I pray that as we seek after you, we would become more and more like you each and every moment of every day, even in the worst uh, most challenging times of our lives, that we would turn to you in those moments and that we would lead those around us to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So about 15 years ago, my dad had a health scare that lasted several years. It involved a pretty harsh treatment plan. It was very much like chemo. There was a lot of unwanted side effects, and uh, it, yeah, it was several years of this. Um, it was a really tough time for me and my family. It was, it was a challenge. We'd never really gone through something like this before. For me as a, as a teenager at the time, it was brand new experience. And in that season, we clung to a verse pretty firmly. And it's this one, where James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Side note, just the fact that James, the half-brother of Jesus, is telling us this is kind of mind-blowing for me. You ever think about that? This is the brother of Jesus who believed in Jesus and who said he is Lord. Can you imagine if your little brother, okay, just like, you know, busts into your room one day and says, hey, I'm God. What would you do? You just kind of look at them and go like, all right, buddy. (laughs) Whatever you're playing at today, have fun. Enjoy that. But he believed it. I think that's incredible. Now, if I'm honest, when I see this verse and some others like it that we're going to look at this morning, The last thing on my mind when I go through difficult seasons or get difficult news, the last thing I tend to think about hearing some of your prayer requests this morning is to consider it pure joy, right? My my initial reaction is not to put my fist in the air and go woohoo, right? That's not what we tend to do. No one does that. And it certainly wasn't my response when back in October of last year, my mom Sharon was diagnosed with stage four colon and liver cancer. My response in that moment was more disbelief and shock and and just kind of a numbness to everything. No, the typical response for most people when we go through experience or experience difficult news or struggles in our lives is to simply cry out and sometimes just ask some, maybe some of these questions like, God, where are you? Like, are you even there in this moment? Why, Lord, would you allow for this to happen? Why is there suffering? Why do you allow for these evil things to happen in this world? Why do you allow for, for the church to go in this direction or, or, or for this sickness to take over? 
Where are you when I'm hurting the most? And why won't you answer? How long must I wait? Now, I'm not sure where each of you are at right now and what's going on in your own lives. I've heard a little glimpse. I know it's been a long journey for you as a church in searching for a new lead pastor. I was very happy to hear last week on the live stream that that, that has come to an end. And, and man, that's a lot of prayers answered. Are you sick of guest speakers yet? <laughs> But we all go through challenging times in our life. And if you haven't yet, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's probably only a matter of time. Maybe you are in the thick of it right now, whether it is just vehicles breaking down, a loss of a loved one, a diagnosis, a house fire, a loss of a job, a breakup, failure in school or on a sports team, uh, crop failure. We're in country right here, you know, farmers. Wherever you're at, Wherever you are at this morning, I hope today's message will offer some hope and some comfort and some perspective on who God is and where God is in the most challenging moments of our lives. Because I truly believe that in the midst of our suffering and challenges of life, I like what Don said, God is at work. He's at work. He's right here. He's working and he's doing something that we cannot even imagine. And I believe that in the waiting, in that process, in the challenges of life, we can find hope in Jesus. And because of who Jesus is, we can trust that God is good and that we can come through this on the other side better than before. Because I truly believe that Jesus can take any and every bad situation. And despite the bad, he can make it good. Amen? So, to get things started, I actually want to look at one of those questions that I had on the screen before. Why is there suffering? Why is there suffering in the world? And I know that's a big question, for a lot of people. For those who don't know God, for those who do know God, it's a huge question. And I know that for some people, they even look at it and can shake their faith to the ground. God, if you are good, why is there suffering in the world? Why do you allow for these things to happen? And I've seen people even doubt and deconstruct their faith because of that question. I know it's a barrier for a lot of people out there to believe in a creator God. How could there be a loving good God when there's so much evil and brokenness and pain in this life and in this world? And there are answers to that question. This, question. this question is one I've personally gone through and wrestled through and I've had to find those answers. Um, there's long, in-depth, pretty satisfactory answers, I would say. There's also easy answers too. And the easy answer to this question is that we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. It's off course because of the impact of sin going all the way back to Adam and Eve. So everything we see that's wrong with this world, everything we see that's, that's off course, it exists because we live in a world that has fallen away from God's original design. So that's a quick and easy answer, all right? But I know that when we're hurting, quick and easy answers don't always work well, do they? They don't always feel the best. It's kind of like that, you know, comforting that, that friend, they're well-meaning, they come alongside you, they say, it's okay, everything happens for a reason. Like, God just wants what's best for you. In that moment, you're just kind of like, you just kind of want to go all Will Smith on that friend and say, hey, doesn't feel like God has what's best for me in this moment, does it? I get it. I have been there. But I take a lot of courage and hope 
in the fact that the Bible is filled with stories of people who suffered and waited and who did not get easy answers. I think there's a lot we can learn from those who suffered in the pages of scripture. I think of Job, who lost his family and his livelihood, even though he was faithful to God. He had well-meaning friends, just kind of like that situation, who tried to comfort him and to see if maybe there was some unconfessed sin in his life that he just had to get out there and it would explain why everything was going wrong. But that's not why Job was suffering. Or think of the prophet Elijah, who literally had to hide in a cave for remaining faithful to God, fearing for his life because the Jews had rejected God's ways, and they went on this murderous rampage against his prophets, and and Elijah was the last one remaining faithful, and yet he's got to go hide in a cave. Or think about Jesus' mother, his parents, having just had a baby, had to flee to Egypt to escape the terrible orders of King Herod, who wanted to, to wipe out the baby boys in Israel. It's likely they spent about three years in Egypt as refugees. Or look at the Apostle Paul, who says to the church in Corinth, I don't need to boast about my sufferings, but if I did, it would go a little like this. I have been beaten, I've been thrown in jail, shipwrecked, whipped, tortured, made fun of, isolated, I've gone without sleep, I've been cold, I've been naked, I've been hungry, my life has sucked. That was a paraphrase. (laughs) And yet something made it all worth it, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And I also think of King David, who in half the Psalms is like, I'm okay. No, I'm not. (laughs) Think about what he wrote in Psalm 22, where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. Like that doesn't exactly sound like a woohoo kind of moment when it comes to struggle, does it? So how on earth, like I gotta go, James, like how on earth could we possibly consider it an opportunity for pure joy in the midst of our greatest difficulties and challenges of life? I think there is an answer. James knew it. It was Jesus. Typical Sunday school answer, I know. But let me get into that. Let me flesh that out for you. So to get into our main passage this morning and our main focus, I want to look at something the Apostle Paul wrote to give us an idea of the difference that Jesus can make when we're struggling and waiting for answers. So we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 12, 5 to 10. If you have your Bibles, great. Read along, mark it up, underline. If you want to follow along on the screen, you can do that too. So let's go through the whole thing together. I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain So no one will think of me, more of me, than what is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I'm going to come back to that. Actually, I'm going to finish that off. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So let's go back through that passage, and we're going to read it line by line to just kind of flesh out what's going on here, get a better grasp of things. So he starts off saying, I'm not going to boast about myself, about my weaknesses, but even if I should choose to boast, 
I wouldn't be doing anything wrong. I wouldn't be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I will refrain so that no one will think more of me than what is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Now, Paul is writing to the church in the city of Corinth, which is a Greek city. It was a city that was on the coast, and it was this multicultural hub of people from all over that area who would come, and it was a trade port, trade kind of city, and people would be in and out all the time. It wasn't uncommon for there to be different worldviews and street preachers talking about these different things and, and the different viewpoints out there, different faiths and religions. And so Paul, he starts a church there. And in this church, he's addressing some of the members of that particular church who were, get this, being picky about who their church leaders were. We don't ever do that in our churches today, do we? But many of these church members were saying that Paul wasn't a great speaker. And so he addresses these complaints to say, guys, it's not about me but it's about what Jesus has done in me that qualifies me. And so, if you read chapters 10 and 11, you can get a sense of Paul dealing with that stuff. But here he says, I'm not going to boast in my own qualities, because it's not going to do me any good. It takes the focus away from Jesus, from who it belongs to. Instead, I would rather talk about my weaknesses so that, so that people can see it is truly Jesus at work in my life, because I can't do it on my own. So then he continues. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, we don't really ever figure out what this thorn in the flesh really was. There's been a lot of speculation from different scholars, but it's something that Paul is struggling with. Um, I've heard some people say it could have been an ongoing sin that he was struggling with. Others have said perhaps it was a health problem, something that was just dragging him down as he's getting old. Um, others have said maybe it was even an unwanted sexual attraction. And I've even heard that maybe it could have been annoying people in his churches he planted that were driving him nuts. And as a pastor, that one makes me laugh. Because <laughs> uh, I get it, Paul, I know, I know. And if you don't think there's annoying people in your church, it's you. <laughs> but whatever his thorn in the flesh was, Paul likened it to something of the devil to torment him. And that's really important to think about. Because when we look at the struggles we have in our lives, I hope we can see it in a similar way. Paul correctly sees that the struggle he has in this life is not of God. It's not something God necessarily desires for him or wants him to go through. It's not going to be part of the picture when we get to heaven one day and we get to be with God. And yes, this does kind of go back to the idea that we live in a fallen world and that's why there is suffering. But the thing for us to grasp hold of is this. The struggles and the, the suffering we have in life, it's not what God desires for us. It's not going to be part of our lives when we get to God's kingdom, when it's fully restored and we are with him face to face. And another thing I see here is that Paul asks the Lord to take this thorn away from him over and over again. When we see these kind of pictures played out in scripture, this three times I pleaded with the Lord. It doesn't really matter what the number was. It, it means that he's asked this over and over and over and over again. And this makes me consider my own prayers going unanswered. God hasn't answered Paul's prayer. At least it hasn't taken away this thorn from him. And I've had similar experiences 
My prayers haven't been answered when when I want them to or how I want them to. But I think this is a reality for us Christ followers. This is a reality for us Christians that we need to wrestle with this. The fact is that sometimes we call for Jesus in our pain and in our tears, but he doesn't come the way we want him to. Doesn't mean he's not answering. Doesn't mean he's not there, but maybe we're just not seeing the way he is there because we have an expectation. And honestly, this I really do understand well. Um, This is my son, Forrest. He's two and a half, and uh, I know he's cute there. (laughs) But at three in the morning, when he's screaming, not exactly the most cute scenario. In fact, Forrest, of our three kids, uh, he was the most challenging one as a small child. He, uh, he hit a sleep regression at about four months, which all the parents are going like, oh, yeah, I remember that, sort of. Usually that four-month sleep regression lasts maybe a week or two, right? as it did for my other kids. Forrest had a sleep regression that lasted over a year. Every night, he would wake up multiple times in the night, and he is stubborn as stubborn gets. We call him Feisty Forest, and his response is, I'm not feisty, which is really funny because, yeah, anyways, if we ever need to talk about self-refuting statements, there's one for you. Um, But Forest is stubborn and strong, and he's going to be an incredible leader one day, but in the moment when you're just trying to get him to bed and he does not go to sleep, oh, and when that's night after night after night, it's hard. And I remember in that season of just this out of control, lack of being able to do anything, going, God, where are you? Please, like we're at our wits end. We're exhausted when it's month after month after month. I had one night where it was like two in the morning. And and honestly, I was so angry because I was so out of control. that I was just like, I got to get out. So I went for a run at two in the morning. I ran two kilometers in eight minutes. I was just peeved. But man, I was just going, God, where are you? Please make it stop. And Forrest went through that for a whole year. That was incredibly challenging. But just because Jesus doesn't respond how we expect him to or when we want him to, doesn't mean he's not responding and doesn't care about us and what's going on in our lives. So how does Jesus respond to the Apostle Paul's cry for relief? Well, let's keep reading. Jesus says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We got to read that again because it's incredible. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is incredible to think about because the situation for Paul hasn't changed. His circumstances are still the same. He still has this thorn in the flesh tormenting him, whatever it might be, but there is a difference now. It's perspective. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus is saying to the Apostle Paul, in your suffering, you don't have to be strong. I am going to be strong for you. Paul, I am enough for you, and he's saying this to us as well. What you need isn't necessarily to have a thornless life. He's saying, in your grief, in your greatest need, what you really need is me, is Jesus. He is saying that in the face of all our suffering, what makes it worth it, the difference is him. So if 
then Jesus is indeed worth it, as the Apostle James tells us, as Paul is saying to us in these kind of mind-blowing words that we can consider it an opportunity for pure joy in the midst of our struggles. I don't know how, except that it is Jesus. Why? Why is Jesus worth it when it comes to our suffering? One thing I think of right away, my brain loves to go to apologetics and just kind of rationalizing things and, and trying to understand the why behind everything. And, uh, and one of these reasons I think of pretty quickly is what it would look like to go through our hardships and our struggles without God. Think of the implications of our lives and our hardships if God doesn't exist. Right? Like all, all the suffering we go through, cancer, a house fire, uh, sickness, um, a loss of a job, a diagnosis, loss of loved ones, whatever it might be, if God doesn't exist, well, then there's no ultimate purpose to our lives. Uh, there's no great, you know, paradise we get to go to after. It, it actually renders everything kind of meaningless, doesn't it? I had a friend um, pass away, actually, in, uh, during the pandemic. He was 26 years old. Um, he was kayaking, had a seizure, and drowned. It was awful. And I remember watching his, his funeral online, and his family was as secular as it gets. There was no faith, no belief in any sort of higher power or God whatsoever. I just remember watching this service and going like, oh, this is, this is depressing. It was, it was hopeless. There was no, there was no, they're in a better place or, or he's, there's not, there's, he's not suffering anymore. None of that. It was just, we can look back on his life and see what was good about it. And we can band together now and hopefully we can find some, some strength together as a family. But there was no, yes, but. There's nothing. So I, but, but beyond just the implications of if God is there or not, I think a bigger reason that Jesus is worth it has to do with his statement, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, because this gets at the heart of the gospel. Why did Jesus come to earth? It gets to the heart of why God sent him in the first place. And we've just gone through Christmas. The season of Lent has begun. We're leading up to Easter now. And it is amazing to think of how God came to this earth, born into humility, knows what it's like to be a human, and then suffered and then died on a cross to save us from sin and brokenness. Have you ever wondered, like, why did Jesus come as a baby? You ever, you ever wondered that? I have. I'm like, what? Why didn't God just send him as a full-grown adult? Or like, wouldn't he be more like capable and, and powerful and, you know, maybe toned chest muscles and washboard abs, long flowing locks and a hammer, just ready to fight against the devil to do his ministry, to die on the cross, to defeat the power of sin and evil and just bring us back to God? Like, wouldn't that be easier? Why a baby? It actually would be easier, but that's not what God was going for. This is everything to do with God being a relational God who loves us that much. Jesus stepped into our world, humbly born into a manger from a teenage mother and a working class father. He gave his time, his space, his presence. He took the time to get to know us, to know what it's like to be a human and to know us intimately. And then he went to the cross to wipe out our sin and defeat to wipe out our sin and to defeat the power of death over us. And therefore, when we suffer, I think we can take courage in knowing that God truly knows what we're going through. He's experienced poverty, 
hunger, pain, loss, uh, rejection, grief, temptation. He's experienced puberty. You ever think Jesus had voice cracks? (laughs) Truly, I tell you. Anyway. But I take a ton of courage. I was sharing this with Larry earlier. I take a ton of courage in the shortest verse in the Bible. Anyone know what it was? Jesus wept. You know why he was weeping, right? The death of his friend, Lazarus. I'll tell you that I originally um, had this message um, planned out for one of our local high schools. It's a Christian high school called Woodland. And at Woodland, they've had three students. Three Three grade 12 students diagnosed with cancer just in this year at a high school of like a thousand kids. And this is one of those verses that I just went, we got to know this, guys. Jesus weeps with you. We have a weeping Savior. In Jesus, we find someone who knows all our heartache and pain because he's been there. He's worth it because in his grace, he takes all our pain and our brokenness and having experienced it, he goes to the cross to wipe away our sin and to bring us back to God. And so in that, we're not alone. By becoming weak, Jesus defeated the power of sin and death over us forever. Is that not the message of the gospel in itself right there? So here's the learning from this. When we suffer, Jesus is right there with us. We're never alone. We don't have to go through a funeral where there's no hope. We're never alone. Pain, in fact, is a place of special intimacy with Christ. Because here's the thing. If we believe that Jesus was who he said he was, if he truly was the son of God who loves us, he's the one who was there at the beginning, who has always existed, who holds power over all creation, who is worthy, worthy is the lamb. If that is who he was, in the end, he wins. Jesus wins. And I think James and the apostle Paul, they knew this because of their close relationship with Christ. Therefore, knowing that, after Jesus tells Paul that he is enough, that his grace is sufficient for him, Paul, you don't have to be strong in your weakness. I'm going to be strong for you. Therefore, Paul responds with this, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, Jesus, you are strong. Paul knew that in his hardest moments, Jesus was there to be strong for him and was going to do something amazing, even in spite of the darkness. That is the woohoo kind of moment. And Paul went on, like, look at his life. Even with the thorn in the flesh, even with the challenges and the hardships, we've got the message of Jesus today, likely because of that guy. Even with his thorn in the flesh. Think of all the people in scripture I mentioned at the beginning. Look how God took each of their circumstances and he was still able to bring about something good. I think of Job who lost everything and yet he still says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. 
And then later on, everything Job had was, that he had lost was restored back to, to the fullest, even greater than he had before. I think of Mary and Joseph, even though they had to flee to Egypt for, for their son's safety, they were trusting that God is indeed faithful and his promises will come true in spite of the horrible circumstances around them. And in the end, their baby boy ushered in the salvation of the entire world. I think of King David, who famously writes in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you know what comes after Psalm 22? Psalm 23. You guys are clever. <laughs> Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, they guide me. And the Apostle Paul, he saw that in our pain, we are brought closer to our suffering Savior to Jesus who weeps with you. To the church in Rome, look what he writes about how through our suffering we are more than conquerors because of Jesus. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? My friends, God can take every dark story and despite the pain, he can make it good. There's a song by uh, Maverick City Worship called Kingdom. And in it, Kirk Franklin, he says this line that caught me off guard one day when I was driving. He just said, you cannot get distracted by your right now that you forget about your tomorrow. Because with Jesus, there is always a tomorrow. So to start wrapping things up, this passage and, and the one in James and loads of other places in scripture, they give us some incredible insight and perspective, but they also give us some permission. I think they give us permission to grieve, don't they? Jesus wept. He weeps with us. We can grieve. It's also okay to ask big, tough questions. I love looking at Thomas, the disciple, who just wasn't quite sure that Jesus had risen yet, and yet Jesus doesn't reprimand him. He says, belief. It's okay to wrestle and to doubt and to not understand, to just not get it. It's okay to ask why God or to even be angry with him. He's a big God. He can take it. It's okay to ask him to take the hard things away. That's not wrong. And it's okay to not be okay. I don't know why we go through the difficult seasons of life, why a fire burns a home down, why a sickness just eats us up. I don't know why my mom got cancer. I don't know why the Boston Bruins keep winning. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, take heart for I have overcome the world. It's not you, you might have trouble. No, you will. We will. But can I ask, is God only worthy of our worship and our love when our lives are going perfectly? Or is he also still good and worthy even in the midst of the chaos and the hardship and the suffering? All the time. Thank you. Here's the bottom line. Hey, for those of you who have been nodding off this morning, if there's anything you can remember today, it's just one word. It's going to be really easy for you to remember. I'm going to come back next time if I get invited. We'll see about that. And I'm going to say, hey, what was the one thing we need to remember about where God is in the time of suffering about that morning? Okay, it's one word. You ready for it? This hope. 
Hope that in those who suffer right now are closest to God's heart. Hope that in our suffering, Jesus, he's working in you. He's working in you to bring you closer to him. In Psalm 23, when it says, um, I will follow you all the days of my life, that word follow, in some other translations, I believe it's pursue. In the, the original Hebrew, the word is radaf, and it's actually a hunting term. It's not just passive following. It's like an active hunting down of prey. That is how God is pursuing us with his love, and it's how he does it even when we are suffering. We have hope, my friends, that we can grow and be made better, that God is chasing us down with his love. Hope that in the end, we get to be with Jesus and there will be no more suffering or pain. So if I can finish off with a question for you, a question for you to just think over in your head, will pain and suffering drive you away from God or will it drive you to him? Are you going to look at it with doubt or confusion or frustration to say like, God, I don't know if you can exist because of what I'm going through right now. Or can you say, yeah, God, this is awful. This is the results of this world that I'm in. But I know that you are good. I know that you love me. And that I know in you, I have an ally and a friend who is there with me the whole way through. And a little practical advice here. If you're in the midst of the suffering in this life, if you're in the midst of a hard moment, don't go it alone. You have a beautiful, wonderful church family here for this. God has designed us to be in community, to be with each other. Don't go it alone. Talk to someone. Reach out, even if it's just to ask for prayer. Um, Earlier, I mentioned that my mom, Sharon, there she is, She was diagnosed with colon cancer back in October and liver cancer and metastasized. And she went through a short battle with chemo in December and in January. And at the end of that, we were given some pretty challenging news as a family. The chemo wasn't working. The cancer had not shrunk. In fact, it had grown, especially in her liver. And we were given two options. We could try a different chemo that was kind of the second-rate chemo. It was not proven to be as effective as the one she had been on or move into palliative care. And so in that, we prayed, but we, we knew pretty quickly to trust God that he could perform a miracle if he chose to, that he could completely heal her because he is a big God. But we also knew that our earthly options had been exhausted, and so we chose to move into palliative care. On February 21st, my mom was moved into a hospice in Waterloo, and on February 22nd, just over 24 hours later, with all of us, me and my three younger brothers and their spouses, my dad, my wife, all around her bedside, she passed. We're in the middle of this right now. We're in the middle of one of the most difficult seasons of my entire life. And sometimes it's pretty hard to see the end. Sometimes it's hard to see the good, and even though I'm preaching these words to you right now, like, call hypocrisy, because I'm struggling with that. And yet, even now, I see God at work. I see him bringing us closer to him. I feel his comfort and his love. I've seen our family come together, our extended family healed in so many different ways. I've seen our church community come around us. Oh, man, they're incredible. They have just blessed us in so many tangible ways, like making meals and sending 
gift cards, like so many ultimate dining cards. So many. I'm kind of sick of Harvey's, but it's so good. Man, for my family members, my own family members, who have walked away from Jesus and the church, I've seen them begin to re-examine their beliefs and return to God and return to Jesus and to trust in him again. And in the midst of this, Jesus has brought me incredible peace when peace just doesn't make any rational sense. Last Sunday, I got to baptize one of our youth. And after the service, one of my friends said to me, she's like, dude, you got out of bed today. I was like, oh man, I've got a lot of good reasons to get out of bed every day. And Jesus, you are the biggest one. So my friends, I don't know where you're at personally, but I need you to remember that with Jesus, we have hope. We have hope that God can take any and every dark story and he can make it good. Yes, it can take years. Yes, it doesn't always show us this super clearly. We don't always get it right away. We may struggle. We may push back on God. We might wrestle and and challenge him through it. But in the end, I do believe we are indeed brought closer to Jesus. And he's going to make us more complete and whole as he pursues us. We grow. With Jesus, we have the opportunity to go through the trials of life and come out on the other side in a better place. With Jesus, we have hope. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. I just can't help but think of the, the, the words that we as a family thought of around mom's bedside in that God is good and God is love. And we hold fast to those today. We have to hold tight to you, God, because you are worthy. Not just because of what you do for us, but because of who you are, that you are a good, loving, powerful God. You are holy. You are just. You are perfect. And if it wasn't for your love, Lord, we would stand condemned as sinners because of the mistakes that we have made, the choices, the thoughts, the words we say. Yeah, God, we're, we're broken. And I'll admit that in the midst of our, our, our struggles and hurt in this season, I have, I have said things. I have done things, Lord, that are not of you. I have been selfish and arrogant. And God, I need to confess that I need you. And yet, even in my brokenness, Lord, I'm so thankful for the way you have given me peace. And I pray that same peace over this church family here at KZMC. I pray that same peace over anyone who might be listening online that is hurting, that is struggling, that in Jesus we have a Savior who grieves alongside us and yet who offers us hope that nothing else in this world can give us. Hope that in the end we are set free, that we are no longer in pain, that everything will be made right And that we can stand face to face with a God who loves us, who gives our lives meaning and purpose and value and who is there with us in the most difficult seasons. Thank you, Jesus, that you have overcome the world. And we can take heart in that. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.